Hey everybody, welcome back to the Think Critical podcast, where we take on everything thoughtful and necessary in public policy and critical thinking. Uh, I'm with my co-hosts, Greg and Adam. Hello there. What's up, Logang? Uh, you stole Adam's line, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of glad that that line was lost, <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we had a bit of a recording issue. Um, turns out I was cooking an egg on my CPU because the cooler wasn't on. I don't know how that happened. I'm pretty sure when I installed a new drive to my computer, I banged it off, uh, which is... 90 degrees Celsius. So yeah, uh, we almost uh, lost everything, but now we're here, and we're gonna be talking about... Well, first of all, we're gonna be talking about something very special which happened yesterday. What did you lose? Everything. <laughs> We're going to talk about something uh, very special which happened yesterday, and that is leftists were angry on Twitter. That never happens. It's not like that happens every day, but they were extra angry yesterday. You know yeah, why? Yeah, I've, I've never seen yeah. yeah. You know why? Pete Buttigieg Pete was selected Buttigieg. as transportation secretary. Now, that makes me very happy. Woo-woo. I like Pete Buttigieg a lot. He was one of the guys I supported during the primaries, and I think uh, well, America needs a lot, of, a lot of younger politicians to you this know, be right in there. This does put a smile yeah. on Exactly why the leftists are pissed off. Yeah, we, we need you know, right, yeah. So you've got a we, we need yeah. we need um, more young politicians in America, and people who judge could be that. Um, and I think it's the as I, as Craig sort of pointed out, that's one of the reasons why leftists are angry because the leftists when they think of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, right? They're they're thinking to themselves, well. You know, these guys, they're, they're older or they're politically inept, and we can take on the rest of the Democratic Party later, right? You know, it's our time to shine soon. But they look at Pete Buttigieg, who's a young politician who doesn't share their leftist values. He's a moderate, very much a moderate. The leftists will think to themselves, well, you know, this guy is, is on our turf. He's the future, future's our thing, not, you know, not, not the moderate Dems thing. So I think they kind of get angry about Pete Buttigieg in that regard. I think they also get angry at Pete Buttigieg because... I feel like leftism is sort of like this weird amalgamation of two sort of types, two pe- like types of believers. So one is like social justice people. You know, we want equality for blacks, gays, L- sorry, LGBTQ people, women, stuff like that. And then the other is the actual Marxists who probably, honestly, are in a minority. But Pete Buttigieg, as a young gay man, threatens to pull away a lot of the LGBTQ supporters that latch onto the leftist movement just because it's sort of a vehicle. And I, I just think that they're also angry at Pete Buttigieg because he threatens to draw away a lot of their support. Yeah, especially from young people. He's shown the ability to turn out young voters in the primary, and that's um, very, very threatening to leftists, especially since young people are basically the Moby Dick whale of politics. Everyone says that you can turn them out, um, but then when it comes to the election, you actually can't. But Pete Buttigieg has shown an ability to do that, which makes him extremely threatening to leftists in any election, especially a future presidential election his ability to turn them out really does make sense just considering if you just only considering his age okay he is way way closer to their age than joe biden who is practically as old as dinosaurs yeah he's also he's also a very charismatic individual he's very (laughs) likable but uh, you You know, know when you see someone like yourself you sort of want to go out and vote 
But, but anyway, um, you know, besides his electability or his ability to make certain people we don't like angry, uh, I think Pete Buttigieg would be a fantastic transportation secretary because I think he has some really awesome infrastructure plans. During the campaign, um, well, his platform was focused on infrastructure, specifically repairing America's infrastructure, and that's something we need to do. And I think uh, Pete Buttigieg, because of he's a local politician, right? He has a lot of local take to issues, as we all know, local information's best information, uh, a la Hayek. Um, Pete Buttigieg will be will you know have this appreciation that we we can't build national high-speed rail. You can build regional rail, regional bus lines, things like that, which will really work. And I think it'll have this appreciation for the way local politics functions into that and local infrastructure projects. This is slightly going off on a tangent, but I feel like the future of America or the future of American transportation is in the air. Um, I feel like transportation between American cities, if we can get if we can improve our air infrastructure, like decrease costs and everything, I feel like that would be uh, a much more emissions. efficient way to get in between like major American cities than building highways. I feel I feel like it just it could be even if it's not any more cost effective, I think it definitely could be more um what about, the what about the climate act, uh, aspect? Because I mean, I, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Planes planes are electric planes are coming. Big emitters. Yeah, I mean, um, if we can get I, elect- I know mass electric planes, then yeah. But uh, I mean, as we haven't even gotten yeah. mass electric cars as it stands yet. Now, so I think you know a very easy thing he here to do as transportation secretary is um is repairing bus lines and road lines. Well, and, I'm and not roads? saying that it, it's yeah. in Pete Buttigieg's future. I'm just saying that just yeah. generally in the future, I believe well, that yeah, that's I where America that. well, should yeah, I think if we're try talk, to go. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a, a national uh, transportation. Then planes might be, might be the best bet for national transportation. I don't I don't think about regional, obviously, right? I I don't think anybody claims that planes are best for regional transportation. Um, well, if you need to get from like I don't know to California, like at LA to San Diego, it's either going to be like a three-hour car ride through traffic or no, yes, yeah, you but can I hop think on that, an electric I think that's plane. a perfect opportunity for a regional line because I think a properly built regional line is, it will, will be the same as a as a plane. When, you, when we think about plane Yeah, compared to a national line yeah. like Amtrak, which is broken <laughs> yeah. and sucks. Well, if we, if we, when we talk about a transportation... Oh, Amtrak trans- needs yeah. to be revised. Amtrak needs to be redone. Yeah, it's it's literally been operating at a loss for like the last couple of decades. It's one of the most the state of it is just sad. Yeah, it's one of the most dilapidated pieces of American infrastructure. One could say it's simply a microcosm of what's going on in America with a lot of our. I heard on the radio a, yeah. a while ago that America's infrastructure, out of a like an A to F scale, is ranked at a D. It's just crazy. Like I feel yeah. like we the fact that that doesn't even surprise me is probably the saddest part of it. Well, yeah, but anyway, um, let's talk about if we're talking about the infrastructure, yeah. uh, infrastructure yeah. and, and okay, national versus back local. To Pete. Yeah, um, yeah. Going just, back to this, Pete, I just want to uh, like touch on the national versus local address. Okay, anyway, I think yeah. Um, in terms of like a national infrastructure thing, though, planes, um, like high efficient planes, might be the future again because we did amazing things like the Concorde. And in a globalized world where it might not be as important, um, or you know, sort of like um, in a globalized world where national infrastructure will be somewhat the same as global infrastructure, maybe. Looking at planes again will definitely be part of the future, but yeah. But going back to the present day with Pete, um, an important priority for any transportation secretary should be to make the way that we get around our cities more efficient, which is why it's so encouraging that uh, Mayor Buttigieg adopted smart streets when he was the mayor of South Bend, which, according to Politico, means streetscapes designed for easy and safe use by pedestrians, bicyclists, motorists, and public transit riders. And he invested $200 million in new investments for this. So, in general, uh, Mayor Buttigieg has 
a long track record of investing in infrastructure, and he seems to be extremely passionate on the issue. So not only does he have plans, he's actually done it before. Uh, Quoting him, he has mentioned roads and trash pickup in the same breath as the meaning of life. So we can tell that he's all pretty passionate about this. And then also the fact that the transportation... Yeah, and the transportation secretary is not just a random job anymore, especially when you consider the state of the economy. Uh, President-elect Biden has decided that the transportation secretary will be an extremely important role regarding the recovery of the economy. So Biden is really putting his trust in Mayor Pete, which is something that I really like because it would be a very shrewd move of him to set up the next generation of moderate Democrats for success. And seeing as Pete was in a red state and had no feasibility when it came to accessing higher offices, giving him this office is a very big break for Pete. Yeah. And also, speaking of his connection, is, yeah. yeah. Speaking of his connection to uh, transportation, he proposed to his husband at O'Hare Airport in Chicago, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, and then also there have been some pretty awesome precedents set. Right, first gay cabinet member, and then first primary opponent to become a cabinet member, which is really good because Biden ran his campaign on fostering more uh, cooperation and unity amongst the American people and members of Congress. So hopefully that will be a precedent that gets continued in the future, seeing as every presidential primary has several talented individuals that can each fill a niche in the cabinet, and it shouldn't be taboo to put these people in the cabinet. Looking at it realistically, Pete Buttigieg probably won't do Pete Buttigieg probably won't overhaul America's infrastructure in, in, in four. He probably won't raise the infrastructure grade of America from a D to an A. But I think realistically, it's like some of the biggest, um, like some of the, some of the biggest things he's accomplished is just by being named, like as you said, like first gay, first like he's setting a lot of presidents. Or he's setting a lot of precedents. I, th- I think they definitely move um, America closer and the government closer to Biden's view of like a more unified America. Yeah. The bottom line is he's a young idealist in a role where he is given a lot of trust by the president and in a place where America has so much room to grow, and that is infrastructure. So hopefully President-elect Biden will just allow Pete to do his thing and spread his wings, and we can actually see Pete spreading some real change from his role. And so, uh, you know, that, that leads me right nicely into our next point, uh, which is about um, stimulus deal and economic recovery, uh, because I think as um, – I forget who mentioned it with you guys, but um, I mean uh, transportation could be a huge part of the stimulus and recovery. Uh, right now, negative interest – I mean we have negative real interest rates, which is um, pretty rare. Well, I don't know. I mean it, it's, it's nominally rare, right? Well, nominally, you know, that's a little bit of a pun, I guess. Uh, but anyway – we have negative real interest rates, which means that government can issue, issue a lot of debt to pay for its programs. So, as part of a um, you know part of a fiscal stimulus, obviously, what, um, public work programs are often considered. Why don't we have a public works program for more infrastructure? Uh, that would produce a, a, a pretty decent multiplier effect in the economy, and that we can also pay for that really easily because of the way interest rates are. We can basically print trains. Uh, and then, you know, looking uh, right now it's in the stimulus deal, it's state and local aid. It's in its um. In, um, it's state and local aid, or it's going to be stimulus checks, and it's going to be in expanded UI. Um, now, st- expanded UI was actually really successful. Uh, it was probably the most successful program we've done this year. We gave a lot. We gave more money to people 
in UI terms than any other nation, which is pretty rare for America. Um, stimulus checks weren't as good, though. Uh, so right now, you know, there's going to be this little debate where it's like, you know, Sanders and Hawley are uniting forces, which is, you know, a hell uh, a hell thing to me. I hate Sanders and I and I despise Hawley. But, Sounds straight out of a fan fiction. Yeah, but they're, they're combining forces for checks. Um, Yang's endorsing checks, which is, I mean... I mean, checks are good, like, and I would agree with checks, but I, I just think that um, uh, that you know, state and local aid, are something else to be looked at because that's the alternative. State and local aid is, you know, more of a moderate, uh, moderates would like that better because they're into the uh, federalism thing. Um, so, uh, so what do you, what do you guys think of the stimulus deal, and what other things you think you should add, and you know, what, what, are, what but given the choice between uh, these uh, populist checks or or state and local aid in addition to the UI, um, what would you, what would you pick? Well, I really like the, I really like the infrastructure plans, but I feel like we don't have to pursue, uh, pursue public works options as heavily as, say, we did in the 1930s, right? Because we didn't have an utter destruction of jobs and an utter destruction of wealth like we have, like we had during the Great Depression. But it's still great to have these public works programs because you basically take out two birds with one stone. You're able to try and revive the dilapidated infrastructure in America and also provide a, uh, a bouncing off point for those that might have lost their businesses or have been laid off from a job. So overall, it's just extremely effective. And as Josh said, it's financially feasible. So that's definitely something that I believe in. So I, I, so I'm not a big economics nerd like Josh. So I'm not going to comment on monetary policy. But what I do want to see from the oh, well, this is this is fiscal policy though. <laughs> this is yeah. You know, but yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is beside I mean, the there's points. like a tiny bit I'm, of monetary again, I'm policy. I'm not an economics nerd yeah. like Josh. But I, I do want to see two things really from the stimulus bill. I. I I do really want to see two. I, I want to see a lot more things, but what I really want to see is two things. I want to see a, like a, a public sort of. I agree with Greg, like a neo works progress association, um, and then I also want to see um, state and local aid. So I, I believe. So first, covering the state and local aid, I feel like the federal government, which can in effect borrow nearly indefinitely. I believe they have a obligation to help out the state and local people who are suffering budget-wise a lot more. I believe um, New York City is having to shut down or has having to suspend some um, even more um, times for the MTA and like the subway system. That that wasn't very coherent, but um, the New York New York City is actually having to cut a lot more of the like subway system, like times and stuff, just to fit their budget. Um, I, I feel like the federal government has an obligation, like being able to help. They should have to help, or they should help. Um, another thing for the uh, sort of a neo works progress association. Um, I feel like. We should probably, yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be, it'd be t- killing two birds with one stone, as Greg said. It'd be solving our problem. Actually, of three birds. I just figured out something else, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, because basically, just taking words straight off of uh, Biden's website, by mobilizing American infrastructure like this, we can rebuild infrastructure in the image that we want it 
in that it could be cleaner and more energy efficient and helps to spur innovation. And also a social capital could be repaired, you know, bullying alone. Well, if Americans are taking the train together, then maybe maybe we have a little bit more of a, a connected country because we all take the same trains, I guess. Yeah, I guess it could be kind of a cultural symbol. That'd be cool. I, I think that's very idealistic. Well, we like, we like to be cautious optimists here. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, those are the two main things. Of course, I would love to see another round of stimulus checks. And another thing that's I, I, I feel it's very important is the uh, like unemployment benefits. So, guys, you want to do COVID twenty? Uh, yeah, let's do it. I'd love to. So, the latest garbage fire to come out of britain uh, their latest atrocity they've sent out upon the world um covid 20 now it's not as of right as of the time we're recording this it's not officially called covid 20 but continuing with the theme of calling it covid plus the year it came out let's just call it that for the sake of this episode um so the data on COVID-20 is scarce, but essentially it is, I believe, 70% more transmissible than COVID-19. Um, and it is unknown how it will affect vaccines and immunity. Um, but I, this is going to be such a disaster if the vaccine, the vaccine for COVID-19 doesn't prevent against COVID-20. I, I wonder what you could, do you guys have any opinions on that and have any thoughts? This just reinforces the idea that we should have nuked Britain when we had a chance. Seriously, firestorm the island now. So, what, like, what did they have which the rest of the world can't provide? That was I mean, Warplan Red, right? It might have been Warplan Red or something like that, but really, we could just – seriously, Britain has bad food. It has annoying people, the worst bad accents. Bad politicians. Bad politicians, and they're like, like, they're like a former giant imperialist power. There's no reason why the nation can't unite to just all the nations of the world can't just unite. Screw nukes and them just sink the island beneath the sea. Yeah, just Atlantis, Britain. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, the good thing is that, according to CNBC, there's no evidence so far to suggest that this new strain causes more severe disease and more hospitalizations. But obviously, the increased transmissibility is extremely troubling, given how quickly COVID nineteen just ran through our population and our healthcare system. So the British government has implemented a stricter lockdown to deal with this. And I think a lot of travel to and from Britain is being cut off. But just seeing how even though the eyes of the world world was on China, they were unable to contain it. I I don't see how Britain could contain this within their country for very long. I think it's going to spread. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it might be a matter of it might be a matter of can versus didn't for China, because there's some evidence that they knew about the pandemic or then epidemic months before they actually did anything about it. So hopefully Britain can do something about well, this. Well, here's the thing we got to remember. Um, uh, Britain's an island. Uh, Britain is a is a more open and transparent uh, power, and this is this isn't uh, an, an entirely new virus. It's just a new strain of COVID nineteen. So at the end of the day, like we we know a good deal more about it than we did, and with the uh, virus coming out of Wuhan in you know the February or in January or even December. Um, so, I mean, I'm hopeful 
I mean, there's a good, there's a chance that the vaccine is still effective against it, but I, I, I do think that we can, we can keep uh, Britain isolated. I know the Dutch government um, has already uh, ceased all travel to and from Britain uh, with the Netherlands, and I think that our governments are going to immediately start doing that uh, if they're smart, which you know is always a, always a trouble of the government. That's a, yeah. yeah. If so, you have to rely on the government to do something, you fucked up already. So here's a little historical tidbit about uh, War Plan Red, the U.S.'s plan for for um, war with Britain. So what the plan um, did was it called for the U.S. to first hold out against the uh, British, assuming they'd use Canada as a base of attack. So the U.S. would just sort of grind them down and then seize Canada – or sorry um, – put up a blockade around Canada and basically just starve them out of resources and then, and then invade and basically um, just drag on the war with Britain as like a sort of a stalemate war. I don't know if you want to actually put that in the episode, Josh. That was just sort of cool. I found it on Wikipedia. But in all honesty, no, no, we don't actually hate British people. Um, but we do have a dissatisfaction of a certain aspects of that nation. Um, like their food. Like I got into a fight on Twitter about British food, and they're like, and I said to them, well, Britain has the worst food in the world, basically. I don't even, like they they put they make toast sandwiches in Britain. They put they put French fries. <laughs> yeah, they put French fries in between pieces of bread and call it a sandwich. Um, and then somebody's like, well, but you, you guys in America, you guys have easy cheese, and I'm like, nobody's actually ever eaten easy cheese in America. That's a food yeah, we feed the tourists. And Britain, Are you kidding me? Easy average, cheese is so good. Fight me. <laughs> okay, you know what, Adam? You're ruining my point here. But anyway, but like, meanwhile, in Britain, they, they feed the tourists the good food, which is basically just fish and chips and chicken tikka masala, and then they yeah, eat and like pasties sometimes, eat, and then they yeah. eat like the the like you know haggis for themselves. <laughs> Like it's yeah. like it's so perplexing. Honestly, You're supposed to feed the yeah. tourists the bad stuff. Like we're we, you know in, in America. Yeah, it's like it's like the I guess like they they contribute like good soccer. So we we just evacuate the soccer players. Uh, considering our considering Arsenal's freaking, per, uh, performance yeah. today, considering Arsenal's performance yeah. today, it's not exactly good soccer. It's shameful. Well, I'm a City <laughs> fan, so I, oh, yeah, it's I, that's good for me. I'm I know nothing fan. about soccer, by the way. I just know that Arsenal sucks because every single British person on Twitter was just freaking out. That <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal is. Arsenal does suck. <laughs> Arsenal does suck. Yeah, Europa Europa League is a norm for them now. Yeah. The yeah. The only thing the only thing that Arsenal contribute is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang on FIFA. Not even in real life on FIFA. Oh no. Oh, I let's let's just talk about Twitter for a second. I hate that every single time there there's a debate between a commie and an ANCAP. All the ANCAPs say like, oh yeah, like capitalism is like so good. Like look at the only. It seems like they only have two pieces of information that they look at. The the capitalists look at. Um, standard of living and the communists look at um wages but like can you just use something else like gross national happiness that's what bhutan uses okay well no no okay listen I, I get the argument for our for for like gdp over time and poverty rates over time uh, on behalf of like like if you want to talk about like broad changes capitalism have brought it's really good to just take a look at this graph which shows like developed countries gdp up and then developed countries poverty levels oh, down do you want to talk about Venezuela? but like but yeah but it's like really hard to like but here's the thing like when it comes to the communists and ancaps aren't really meant to debate because they're the two extremes like you'll notice the like 
when, when you notice that there's these capitalism versus socialism debates, which happen like or whatever, it's always an ANCAP and then like a really reasonable socialist, which is very unfortunate because like because if you get like a reasonable uh, capitalist, like a mixed market guy versus any socialist, versus any socialist like he tends to smoke them. Um, meanwhile, you get like David Friedman, like who's Milton Friedman's son. Now, David Friedman's a pretty smart guy. He has some pretty cool, cool arguments, but he's still an ANCAP and he's arguing against somebody like Richard Wolff. And Richard Wolff is a um, very, very mild Marxist. And it's, it's it, you, you realize that um, that like this debate isn't like exactly nuanced because you got this guy who's like very who's like he doesn't even believe in the government and believes in the market can regulate everything. And then you got this guy who's like a slow transition to uh, to Marxism guy like Richard Wolff is. And then it, it's like a super kind of unbalanced to the way the, the positions yeah. typically are. But I'm I was just saying that I there's such a mismatch in like in terms of what yeah. data they use. Like I, I just think oh, they do should you guys use some about Venezuela. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about Venezuela. Yeah, so basically on December twenty, on December seventh, um, there was an election and Nicolas Maduro celebrated victory. And surprise, surprise, because the leaders of the world, however incompetent they may be, they are not idiots. So they basically rejected it on an international level, and now the citizens are being asked to vote again, so that the opposition can contest the vote and hopefully have an actual legitimate result to this election. And obviously, you have Venezuela with the two dueling presidents and. We all know which one is supported by yeah, the people. Yeah, it's Guido, and Guido's the, the actual president. Yeah, Guido yeah. is the legitimate president, but Maduro will not accept that because he is an Dictator. authoritarian bitch. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, Venezuela, I'm very, very sad about how Venezuela's turned out. Um, but well, I think that their current move to authoritarianism well, can America. be seen... I think their current move to authoritarianism can probably be seen in like the larger context of sort of liberal democracies not doing too well across the globe. Obviously, I did that one episode about Nigeria a while ago. That's one that during the 90s and during the 2000s, they were like, oh, yeah, let's go democracy, guys. And then there's obviously Ethiopia, who recently just liberalized, but then they're like, oh, yeah, guys, gotta gotta bomb our own citizens. Bomb our own citizens. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lat- Colombia's Colombia. Colombia seems like it's basically the only functioning democracy in Latin America. I'm. I'm just. That's sad. That's I just, sad. I just don't think Venezuela is necessarily a, like a something that's a country that stands out. Actually, as a historical trend, you're right. I mean, uh, we, uh, Argentina was one of the richest countries in Latin America and was approaching levels of European nations in the early part of the 1900s. But because of dictatorships, it declined so severely, its economy regressed, which is very rare. Um, as a yeah, side and, and, note, History Matters, the YouTube channel, did a phenomenal video on that. I recommend everyone to check it out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, as it turns out, Peronism sucks. Uh, it's not a good plan. Um, cooking your entire economy in the name of like a vague full employment idea. Um, but then, okay, so so looking more at the elections uh, now, the interesting thing to me is that Joe Biden actually pledged, but you know, during the campaign that he was going to uh, take a really strong stance against Maduro. I wonder if he's going to hold up to that. I guarantee someone like Jake Sullivan. Uh, will, you know, in his foreign policy team, will probably want to push for that. Um, you know, there's a reason why Biden didn't rehire Ben Rhodes. There is a stronger stance the United States needs to take. The jungle has grown back. Um, 
So, you know, I, I just hope that given, you know, given the incoming Biden administration, now I doubt Trump will take any action in this election, but other than virtue signaling. But when um, when you know Biden comes in, I hope he can take a stance uh, against the dictatorship and maybe you can see uh, some sort of transition of power away from Maduro at, you know, at some point. Yeah, because I, I guess I'll go. Yeah, because. Hopefully, um, Biden will be able to project the image that he is a leader that will keep his word and actually follow through on the threats he made against an extremely repressive foreign dictatorship, unlike Trump, who obviously doesn't keep his word on much at all. So I guess you could say that this will be an important first foreign policy issue. Obviously, we remember with Trump in his administration, he failed his first porn, his first foreign policy issue uh, miserably with North Korea and almost getting us nuked. But with Biden, I have faith that he'll do the right thing. So for Venezuela, for their path forward, I don't feel very optimistic that the U.S. can actually do something about them um, just because I, I believe that they're in a very good situation as like an emerging dictatorship to play the two to play the major powers off of each other, like to play like, sort of like Cuba, like I guess to play the U.S. and China and Russia off. I, I don't think the U.S. will be uncontested in their influence there. That's just my prediction. It's probably going to well. At the end of the day, though, they're they're in our region of the world. They're in our sphere. I mean, we do have a home turf advantage, and I think the unique thing is that the OAS isn't too pleased with Venezuela. At the end of the day, um, they're you know like when we're dealing with with uh, with elections in other countries, which you're trying to like you know keep safe or whatever, and they're much closer to China and Russia. That's one thing. But Venezuela is right in our uh, you know right in our backyard, and they're bordered by a bunch of countries aren't entirely pleased of their actions. Either Colombia, um, Brazil, um, and the Caribbean states. So you know, you just got to, uh, Cuba was what a couple hundred miles off the coast of Florida. I I don't know. I yeah, but Cuba was an election. Really that game. was a revolution. But Cuba was Cuba was directly a tributary state of the Soviet Union, essentially. Venezuela's um, been doing its Venezuela's own thing. Venezuela's not yeah. like attached to any to great China. power. That it's not could attached to China. Allow it's not attached but to China. I'm saying in the future they might be able to. They their path forward might be like attaching themselves to China, attaching themselves which to which Russia, can't fuck this up. Yeah, trying yeah. to. Well, get yeah, but like, they haven't done that yet, which I think is why it's important that we can we can clamp down now. and they need yeah, and they need provocation to do that um because otherwise they'll just well, be widely condemned even more than they are now and they'll basically just lose their grip on power because widely everyone con- knows what a connection to china means you're basically um you're basically trying to lose uh, accountability for yourself in terms of human rights issues when you connect yourself to a country like that Sir, sure, okay, sure, you're going to lose accountability, like, with the West, but you, you will be drawn into, like, a, like a, I guess, uh, the Chinese, more like the Chinese sphere of influence that they're building up, I, I know, especially among, like, the, a bunch of African nations, but. Yeah, because also think about it, how far will China go to defend Venezuela against a hypothetical intervention? I know, I'm just saying, because I know you want to invade Venezuela, and I think that. 
Um, it's not a horrible idea. Say Venezuela no, was hypothetically invaded in Venezuela anymore. I mean, I, I want to try as hard as we can to get the election. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I, in the past, I've said we should invade Venezuela. I don't think that's uh, too feasible anymore. Um, just for the sole reason that we have a better election. alternative. We have an alternative. I mean, honestly, um, we could put more uh, diplomatic pressure on them. And I think a dip- diplomacy is, is, is actually a viable path forward. Because I thought Maduro was going to crack a little bit uh, harder down on guys. And uh, on his um, on the opposition, and he hasn't done as bad of a crackdown as they thought it was going to do. It's still pretty bad, but it's not as extreme as they thought it was going to be. Um, so, you know, I think it just really goes to show that at the end of the day, liberal ideas are really, really strong in the United States post. And not, I mean, in in the world post uh, post fall of the Soviet Union. Um, so, you know. Given, given our position in the OAS, uh, given our opportunity to make change in the region, I think, I think violence is not the, the path forward right now. Josh not being a war hawk. Oh, impossible. But, impossible. Yeah, I, I, do think, I do think that you are right, Josh, because, yeah, we simply have a better alternative in, in front of us. If we can swing this election and use statesmanship to grab the moral high ground, then we'll be fine diplomatically. Venezuela and Maduro will simply have no other options.